Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Boston to speak with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about the Jabari Bird legal issues and Ray Allen's entry into the Hall of Fame. We'll go to Cleveland to speak with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs about Rodney Hood signing his qualifying offer and the impressive play of Chetty Osman over in Europe. And lastly, we'll go to Brooklyn to speak with Gavin Shaw of Locked On Nets to talk about Jason Kidd's Hall of Fame and his legacy with the Nets franchise. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, my name is Josh Floyd and welcome back to Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We are not that far away from NBA training camps. They're happening this month, so that means the regular season is happening next month. Some interesting things happening in the NBA over the last couple of days, focusing a little bit on the Hall of Fame inductions that occurred over the weekend. So let's get to it. Let's bring in the host or one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast and, of course, one of your hosts on Locked On NBA as well. That is John Corrales to talk about a few things happening in Celtics land. We'll get to the Hall of Fame stuff soon. But first of all, John, some, uh, I guess some troubling news, some troubling reports about one of the uh, Celtics players, Jabari Bird, who was a two-way player last season, signed to a full contract this season. Uh, seems to have gotten himself into some uh, some legal trouble over the last couple of days. Yeah, um, he is currently being held. Um, there are reports of potential domestic violence, which, um, if they're true, obviously would be uh, a horrible situation where the Celtics would have to uh, remove themselves from from that. Uh, it's it's very difficult at this point. It's hard to say exactly what's happened, and because of the sensitive nature of everything. Uh, it's very important to understand what actually happens and to proceed with what happened versus speculation, especially at this current time. Um, I, I think it's, it's especially important to be accurate with everything. So, um, if things are what they seem, then the Celtics should actually absolutely, uh, cut ties with him and move forward. But it's it's very important at the same time to just take a second and and just really compile the information. No one really knows exactly what's happened with him. There are reports and there are charges. And uh, as far as I know, nothing has officially been filed. And there are, are still some questions as to what actually happened. Uh, I think at, in a situation like this where the NBA differs from other leagues is we're going to let the legal process play out and there's no protection. There's no um, holding him to a different standard as anybody else. He is, as far as I know, under arrest and they're going to investigate and the team is going to gather their information and the legal gather information 
and they will proceed accordingly. Uh, Jabari Bird is a guy that, as a two-way player, was impressive in his little limited time, and the Celtics had hoped that he would be a guy at the end of the bench that would add depth. Uh, obviously, basketball is not the most important thing, but there there are basketball implications here. Uh, they they would have to move on from him if this was all accurate, and they would try to find a way to do so in a uh, in in a manner that would kind of be financially prudent, uh, I guess, across the board for them in the league. Yeah, it's obviously you know, the the allegations at this point are troubling, but nothing has been uh, confirmed or nothing has been, uh, you, you, uh, I guess, decided upon in terms of his uh, legal fate. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, I, I guess, it is obviously really troubling if that is actually what uh, what went down is, is what we're seeing uh, alleged is uh, is what went down. That's uh, it's not going to be great for uh, for Jabari and his uh, his playing future and uh, obviously his his just future in general because there are some trouble, troubling allegations that did come out about him over the last couple of days. But we'll see how that. All, uh, all plays out over the coming days and weeks. But there was some other Celtics news in the last couple of days, John, with uh, the Hall of Fame inductions occurring over the weekend. And as usual, Ray Allen had, uh, had some stuff to say, which is uh, not uh, not unusual for Ray Allen at this point in his career. But <laughs> it, it, I guess some of the things he did say over the weekend, do you think that that maybe made you know, some Celtics fans who obviously have issues with Ray Allen, do you think that some of the stuff that he did say, some of the positivity he brought forward, you may have softened that stance somewhat? Or is there still a lot of anger towards Ray at this point? I, I think you know, Ray Allen's a very sensitive situation for Celtics fans. Uh, he, I think, was on a path towards uh, reclamation, I guess, for lack of a better term. And then he put out this book, which was very kind of a, I don't want to say finger pointing, but it kind of felt very, very much in uh, a very much like a finger pointing type of thing. And it kind of dredged up a lot of those feelings, those anti Ray Allen feelings. Now getting into the hall of fame and making that speech. And I think the former Celtics, the Kevin Garnett's and, Paul Pierce's that were out there and kind of, I think, finally saying, all right, he, let, let's just move on. There's a little bit of a, 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 I think, a little bit of that feeling. Maybe now they can put things behind them because that 2018 was just great. And the, the Boston Celtics fans, I think, should move on from whatever animosity they had. It's been a long time, over 10 years at this point. They should just look back at that championship team fondly and whatever. Ray Allen did what he did, and you might not have liked it. Some other guys might not have liked it. I think we're at a point now where him getting into the Hall of Fame and, and him saying what he said, it's it's probably best to just move forward. Like th- this whole thing has been so stupid and <laughs> I'm just so done talking about it. And I hope that they can just at the very least say, all right, let's, I, I don't have to like you, but I also don't have to hate you. And that's probably the best place that both sides can get to. 
Do you think that the the, the Celtics organization themselves will look to honor Allen at some point in the future, whether that's a, a number retirement or anything along those lines? I don't know about a number retirement. Maybe. I know, obviously, well, Paul Pierce's number went up for, and he was there for a long time. I, I think Kevin Garnett's number is going to go up. And if Kevin Garnett's number goes up, then you have a very strong argument for Ray Allen's to do the same because they were there for almost the same amount of time and they were certainly effective for the same amount of time. So if the the best I can say is they, the Celtics are, are very into retiring Kevin Garnett's number. They are not as into retiring Ray Allen's number. And I think, they should probably get to the same place because if you do one, you have to do the other. That just That's just how it goes. And, and there may be, and this is just me guessing, some internal discussion to say, all right, well, we want to raise up Garnett's number. And, and to be fair, Kevin Garnett meant more and was a much more integral piece to what the Celtics did. Kevin Garnett was a better player yep. and – him buying into what Doc Rivers was selling was a much bigger deal to getting the Celtics to, as a whole to buy into the whole concept and to actually get to a place where they could win a championship. So you can say Kevin Garnett was much more deserving of this honor. At the same time, they came in at the same year. And on the court, they meant similar things. Ray Allen with his shooting was just deadly. So you could easily say, well, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen came in at the same time. Why not bestow upon them the same honor? And and maybe that takes a little more finessing on the back end. But I think there is a place for that. There is definitely a place for that. It's going to take a lot longer, though, because I think the Boston uh, fandom in general is – very much pro KG and split at best on Ray Allen. It's very interesting the way that you, you, you did mention that it has been 10 years since that uh, since that title team, which does not feel like it's been 10 years at all. You feel like that is almost a statue of limitations of, uh, of hating players who may have uh, deserted you in a not-so-ideal situation. So best to remember back fondly. And I think in time, that is what will happen in Boston with Ray Allen. Good to see him in the Hall of Fame. We'll monitor the Jabari Bird situation as well in Boston. John, check, uh, check out John over on Locked On Celtics and, of course, on Locked On NBA. John, thanks for jumping on and, uh, and chatting with me you got it my man i welcome in now the host of the locked on Cavs podcast that is chris manning a couple of interesting things happening in cleveland at the moment number one of those is rodney hood signing his one year 3.4 million dollar qualifying offer the team was unable to come to any sort of long-term agreement apparently according to Woj. The Cavs were looking at sign and trade possibilities. Uh, Hood was looking for offer sheets to get that up to around a $10 million or so mark, but he wasn't able to get to that, uh, to that level. So he returns to Cleveland on a uh, $3 million deal for this season. Hits unrestricted free agency next year. But I guess that the big question is, is why do you think there was hesitancy and with the Cavs in uh, extending a larger offer to Hood, was it the, I guess, the no-show he had uh, when he arrived in the trade, the, uh, I guess, the 
petulance in terms of not entering a game late in the season? Like, what, what was the issue holding up this deal, do you think? Yeah, I th- I think the biggest trick with Hood is that he's just never been consistent. He's a guy that will have you know a stretch of five games where he's awesome and then fall off for five games. And he the idea of him always has seemed to be, I think, better than the reality. And, and I don't think that it didn't help that he wasn't particularly impressive in his half season in, play, in playoff run with the Cavs. Not only did he have the issue where he basically just fell out of Tyler's rotation after starting uh, the first game of the playoffs, but he in the regular season had some injury issues and never really got into a rhythm and just was, I think a pretty disappointing player for weren't for Jordan Clarkson. He probably would have been the, the most disappointing guy that came over in that trade. And I think if you're looking at the Cavs having leverage and restricted free agency, looking at tying up cap space and a guy like that, that you're not sure exactly how he fits or what he's going to be as he over the life of a contract, even if it's only three years, I, I think 10 to tie up that capsule would have been a little bit tough to justify. And maybe it would have been easier to stomach if they didn't have some other bigger deals on the on their sheet right now. And I think that's kind of worth wondering. But I think for what Hood was asking for, that that's a little bit more than I would have wanted to pay if I were them. So what do you think that the Cavs are looking at here with Hood? There is obviously an open spot in the starting five. There could be two, depending on what they do with J.R. Smith. Do you think that they're just you know, looking to you know, get him in as a major part of the rotation? They're going to need some scoring output with really only Kevin Love being a high usage type of scorer in this team at the moment with uh, with James going. Do you think they'll look to start Hood? Do you think they'll just keep him in a, in a bench role? Like what's the, what's the, I guess, the thought process uh, with how they're, they're viewing Rodney for this coming season? It's going to be a really interesting question um, to see what they have to say about this. If you're looking at whether he should start or not, I think he should be one of the guys in consideration to start at the at the three spot if they keep Jair in the starting lineup. I, my preference would be Jetty Osman, um, and I, I did a Twitter poll today that most of my respondents had Jetty as well. It was like 92% for Jetty, 8% for Hood, and I, and I think Hood's probably better as a two anyway. It might be... Uh, probably best is Arctic method too. And I, and I do think there is a role for him. Even with Kevin Love doing a lot, the Cavs do need ball creation. Colin Sexton might do some good stuff early, and he might be some pretty decent, um, even if he struggles some. But I think they need someone else to create shots because George Shields is not really his uh, exact forte as a point guard. So I think there's a role for him. And I think even though the Cavs don't have the ability to just match any contract he gets next summer now, I think if they're going to try to make a playoff push and try to to kind of accomplish some of the goals that seems like they want to do, I think they do have it. They, it does benefit them to some degree to help Rodney Hood increase his value on the open market by giving him a chance to shine in in the way that um, he seems to believe he needs to. And for Rodney, he needs that opportunity. I mean, if, it, it's a complicated question for him what he, his market's going to be like next summer, but he's clearly betting on himself. He could have gotten it, it seems like seven million dollars a year from the Cavs. That would have been a pain increase. He's betting he can get more next summer, and that that's going to require, I think, a pretty big year for him. Hasn't really worked for many players betting on themselves with a qualifying offer. We had Alex Len and Nerlens Noel do it last season, and they found themselves with basically minimum deals. That Len got a little bit more than the minimum for the Atlanta Hawks this season. And Hood seems to be a maybe. Look, unless things change around, he can get over his inconsistency, get over his injuries, get over his uh, on-court anxiety issues, which do really impact him on the court, and then be able to play uh, a significant role and, and do more than just be able to score. So there's a lot of ifs in that. Then maybe, but. It's not always a, a a great sign when t- players are taking the qualifying offer. I can only think of one in recent memory where it's really panned out well, and that was Greg Monroe, who took that qualifying offer in Detroit and then signed a pretty lucrative deal in uh, in Milwaukee. And now is uh yeah now he's dealing with minimum contracts himself after that uh, buyout from Phoenix. 
last year, but you, you did reference uh, Chetty Osman, who uh, is in, in competition for that spot for James. I, I'd like to see them go with Hood and Osman personally and just try and you build some of these younger guys up on this team that's you know, clearly transitioning. But let's talk Osman, who is playing over... Uh, for Turkey at the moment in the World Cup qualifiers, he's played a couple of games so far and he's been really fantastic. 20 points against Germany, another 24 points against the Czech Republic today. We saw him look way too good for Summer League as well, and now he's doing it on an international scene also. Is he, has he taken this much of a step forward, or is it just that these two opportunities we've got to see Chetty in the summer being against inferior opposition, so he's looked really good? Or, is it, or this is just a real opportunity for him to stamp himself and go, no, I want to be that guy to take that role. It's probably a little bit of both because he's probably not playing against um, all NBA guys right now. I mean, I think there's been only a few NBA guys He's played against it in both the, the both the games he's played, but the role I think you're seeing him take on is and, and sort of the role we've seen him take with the Turkish national team in the last couple of years I think is really fascinating. He's a guy that last year in the in the Euro Cup in Eurobasket was just pushing the pace, getting rebounds, creating here and in, in the clips you saw against the Czech Republic, uh, people that can find them pretty easily on Twitter. He was taking pull up threes. He was uh, taking these against Germany as well, and you're seeing him have the opportunity to do that kind of stuff that when he played with the Cavs last year, his role was to really be annoying, uh, to be a guy that was chasing people around that was, that was defending that that wasn't there to shoot. He took open shots, but he didn't do much. And he had a couple crazy good passes last year, but not a lot. I think now you're seeing a guy that has the ability to do all that stuff, but also to create, take some shots. And it's good to see him get those opportunities. And it's a question to see if it's still unclear as of right now, because Ty hasn't really talked about it yet, and and it's we're you know we're still two weeks away from media day, so we don't know. But with with the Jetty, he, his role could be like this this year, and that that could be kind of fascinating to see what he looks like, and if they let him do some of this craziness um, in in his second year, and in his first year, where he'll likely be a, a real rotation player for the first time. Yeah, look, I think there's no doubt he's going to be part of the rotation as to what sort of level. Yeah, that role is remains to be seen. There's still uh, J.R. Smith, as I mentioned already, Kyle Corver, Jordan Clarkson, who can play those wing positions, although they're not, you know, Corver plays a little bit of the three, but we all know about his advancing age and I guess the appeal that he has for other teams in terms of uh, as, a, as a trade ship. So the, the table really is set for Chetty to take that step forward. He's done everything that needs to be done so far through the offseason when he's been given the opportunity. Look, and it's all well and good to say, well, he's playing against poor opportunities op- position, which is true, but you still have to go out there and perform. And he's done that every opportunity he's had so far. The pull-up threes are really interesting, the increased ball handling uh, and, and running of an offense that he's been asked to do at times through, through the summer as well has been really intriguing. So I think you're yeah, getting him and Hood in there and seeing how that works out is going to be really interesting. And I think that Osman could be a, a really interesting yeah, breakout type player, or at least someone that the Cavs fans can really start to get behind and, and have a bit of faith in him being a part of, of a young rebuilding type of core, along with, of course, Colin Sexton, who they drafted in the top 10 this coming sell, this last uh, last NBA draft. Chris, uh, that's, I reckon, all that uh, does it for the uh, Cavs news over the past couple of days. Some interesting things going down there. We're all going to be uh, looking at Locked On Cavs for our Chetty Osman updates throughout the season. So check out Locked On Cavs with Chris during the year. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Nets podcast. Now we're going to be talking with Gavin Shawl here. Gavin, some uh, some Nets-related news over the weekend with the Hall of Fame inductions with Jason Kidd going into the Hall of Fame. Of course, he played uh, for a few teams in his career, that the Mavericks, the Suns, uh, and uh, a little bit at the, with, at the end there with the Knicks. But um, yeah, his his moments with the Nets will always be, uh, you know, I guess 
fondly remembered for for Nets fans as well. I guess what is what is the overall you not necessarily legacy. Yeah, maybe it's legacy. What's the legacy that the kid leaves uh, with the New Jersey slash Brooklyn Nets franchise? Yeah, you know there are definitely there are definitely issues with it, and there are small little tints. Like I, I think the way his coaching career in Brooklyn ended is a little bit of a black mark, but it, it, it's it's largely as the greatest player in Nets history. He he defined what was ultimately the greatest error of Nets basketball in, in NBA history. Uh, the 2001-2002 team, the first time they made the finals, that was the only team in Nets history to win over 50 games. And that was a team that I believe the year before without Jason Kidd hadn't even made the playoffs. And they go in, they get Kidd, they go on this magical run. They almost lose in the first round to the Pacers. They, they have this hard-fought series with the Celtics to even make the finals. Um, obviously, the Lakers ended up sweeping them, but it, it was just this magical incredible team that I, I i didn't i didn't grow up a nets fan but i grew up in the new york area and, and i it's one of my earliest basketball memories just seeing how jason kidd revolutionized basketball in new jersey that really wasn't a big deal and and post 9 11 in in new york new jersey i guess the tri-state area not to like put too much weight on, on a sport compared to that tragedy but i i really think it was a big deal because i i remember i, I was just reading an article on, on kid and that team. And it, it was stunning to me because people were afraid at the time to go to movie theaters, to go to sporting events. And at, I, I think it was the Camden center. No one would even show up for the preseason games. And then all of a sudden they're packing this arena full just to watch this magician with the basketball and kid, this guy who, who was never, or at least at that point in his career, wasn't a great shooter, wasn't a great scorer. And he was just dominating basketball games. So he, he's such a unique player. And I think he's just so, integral to the Nets in the way that I think no other player in their history is. It's pretty amazing that he did come in and for so much of his career was there as not a not a shooter, but he finishes his career, he finishes his career and currently sits as the ninth overall player in terms of made three-pointers in NBA history, which is pretty staggering to me for a guy that couldn't shoot. We know he, he's uh, second in the NBA in career assist numbers as well. Um, in steals, he's second also. So he really put a big focus on on defense, but you know, working on that shot to become a guy that in the 2009-10 season was actually third in the entire NBA in made three-pointers is a pretty staggering achievement for a guy who, who did struggle with it, with his shot, you know, through the early portions of his career. Now you brought up his uh, his coaching uh, issues and, and the way that he forced himself out of Brooklyn with that, uh, I guess, power grab for some more uh, managerial control. That does sour things, but we're you know four or five years removed from that now. So, is the general Brooklyn slash New Jersey consensus from fans a, a positive one with Kid? Is that sour taste being washed out of the mouth completely? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's enormously positive, and obviously. Anytime a guy makes it into the Hall of Fame, particularly um, from from a franchise that doesn't necessarily have a significant history of that, you, you, you tend to forget about everything else. You forget about the off-court issues. You, you forget about the coaching job. You forget about the fact that he, he achieved the ultimate high of his career, winning an NBA title with the Dallas Mavericks. All, all you remember is, is the way this guy just made you immensely happy when you were growing up and you were following this team, or, or maybe you were a longtime fan and this is the first time um, in, in your fandom that you really genuinely enjoyed watching them play. So I, I, I think it's largely um, it, it's a positive memory of Jason Kidd. 
We move now to more current day Nets stuff. We had uh, the uh, Kenneth Farid arrest a few days ago. Um, he's uh, he's pleaded not guilty to that uh, to that charge of uh, possession of uh, of marijuana. Um, again, we don't know the outcome of that, so that's something that we have to you know, pay attention to with the Nets after just uh, just arriving with this team through that trade with Denver in the off season. But the, the recent news, I guess, that's come out, Gavin, with the team or at least implicating the team is the Phoenix Suns looking to to get a point guard and Spencer Dinwiddie. His name has come up in those trade discussions. I know you and me uh, spoke about Dinwiddie when we did the uh, fantasy preview for Brooklyn, talking about a player most likely to be traded. And now his name has been floated in that uh, in that decision with uh, or in that discussion with Phoenix. There's nothing that's concrete there or anything like that. But you still feel you know, pretty confident that the Nets are, are all in on D'Angelo Russell, and they'd be looking to to get an asset back in a in a Dinwiddie deal after, uh, before he becomes a free agent uh, next summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little torn. I'm generally of the opinion that they're going to let the season play out a little bit before potentially trading Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, I'm not saying I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked if he was traded preseason, but I think the more likely scenario is that they start the year with all three of these point guards and they let the situation sort itself out to a degree. And, and what I mean more specifically by that is, is they try and see what they have in D'Angelo Russell, how much the guy has improved. If, if he looks like he's on a trajectory to be a borderline all-star and he's gone from an atrocious defender to a manageably bad one, um, I, I think then it becomes very feasible that they trade Spencer Dinwiddie, especially considering the kind of contract they have uh, Shabazz Napier in, in an era where – uh, contracts are going up, up, and up. He's scheduled to make under $2 million the next two years. As a guy who I, I think is at, at least an average, potentially an above-average backup point guard in the NBA. So if, if you have your point guard situation sorted out, and you can take advantage of the fact that Phoenix, um, especially after acquiring DeAnthony Melton, has a surplus of young assets and might be willing to trade a pick, whether that's their own or the Bucks pick that they own at some point, or I, th- I think they have a million other assets. Um, I think the Nets should absolutely pursue that and take advantage of that, but at the same time value that Spencer Dinwiddie is a very good player. And if D'Angelo Russell isn't the guy and the Nets maybe even want to get off of him after the 2018-19 season, it's worth keeping Dinwiddie on your roster because he was arguably their best player last year. So I think they're going to have a cautious approach and they're going to see how the season goes. Yeah, look, it's not like the Nets have been quiet this offseason. You're swinging trades left, right, and center, making moves to improve their team, improve their asset base. And with Dinwiddie sort of sitting there on that uh, partially guaranteed, uh, really league minimum deal that is going to expire uh, next summer, uh, there is a potential for that move with some openings happening uh, with other teams. So I don't think the Nets are going to be sitting on their hands. So look to the past, look to the future with this team, and you can check all of that out over on Locked On Nets as the season progresses and any deals that do go down. Gavin and Josh will have you covered over there. Gavin, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me today. Yeah, of course, Josh. Happy to be here. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and checking out the Locked On College Network. We are expanding at all the time. New shows all over the place. The college football season has started. College basketball is not too far away. So make sure you're checking out your favorite college and their affiliated Locked On podcast. Check out Locked On NFL. We've got uh, week one in the books by the time you're listening to this as well. So check out the shows over there. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and follow the Locked On Network at Locked On NBA Net. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.